This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, a community access media station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible. and welcome to today's edition of Peace Witness. And today we have a very special guest coming in from California in the United States of America, and it's Leah Bulger, who is the president of World Beyond War. And so, um, welcome, Leah. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm, I'm very happy to be with you. Thank you. So, Leah, you've got a really interesting background because um, you retired in the year 2000 from the U.S. Navy at the rank of commander after 20 years of active duty service. And um, after you retired, you became very involved in Veterans for Peace, ending up as the first national women's, first woman national president in 2012. And after that, um, you got involved in World Beyond War. So love to hear you talk about um, your life and your career and what a huge shift it's been. It must have, you know, being in the military for 20 years at a, at a high position and then kind of more or less going over to the other side. Can you tell us about how that happened, please? Yes, I, I'm, I'd be happy to share my story as it's one I've told many times, and and um, and but I'm. It, it's understandable that people ask me about this because it seems so incongruous. But um, I grew up in a very small town uh, and about thirteen thousand people when I was in high school and college, and I went to uh, university in that same small town in Missouri, in the middle of nowhere in, uh, in the United States, and I um, I majored in fine art and uh, not giving much thought to what I would do for a living. Um, and I, I failed to get into a grad school that I applied to, and I was so desperate to get out of that small little podunk town that I, um, I decided to join the military because I figured uh, it would be somewhere uh, exciting, and the Navy especially would be on the coast, on the water somewhere. And uh, so I picked the Navy. And... I, so I, you know, I joined the military strictly because I needed a job and I wanted out of there. And uh, you know, tragically, I think uh, many people, many Americans uh, at least, uh, join the military simply because they need a job or they need the benefits. And it's not out of some uh, patriotic uh, love of country. Um, I think it's 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 not. Uh, out of that kind of philosophy, uh, people need to work and they need health care and these kinds of things. So anyway, I, I grew up, uh, as I said, in public education in Missouri. And um, as your listeners are not Americans mostly, so you don't know how poor the public education system is in this country. But basically, I grew up knowing virtually nothing about America's history in uh, war making and imperialism. And so I was sort of blissed. Um, going along for my 20 years in the military, not really understanding the mission or what we were doing or, you know, why. It just seemed normal to me that the United States was uh, all over the world. And, in fact, I was stationed in four foreign countries, so uh, that seemed normal to me that, that I would be stationed in, in, all over the world, too. 
Anyway, after, to make a long story a little bit shorter, after I retired in the year 2000, after 20 years, um, I, I started getting more interested in it. Now, I, I, my husband and I both joined Veterans for Peace, and we didn't know a whole lot about it, but uh, it sounded like something we agreed with. But we were, certainly weren't activists at that time. Um, but as I got more and more involved, um, I became much more involved in grassroots activism and organizing and bringing people together uh, for protests, for letter writing, for just discussions about different issues. And the smarter I became on, on American, uh, American history, and I'm still woefully ignorant of uh, understanding of, of, the, of the past uh, of this country, but I'm I'm smart enough now to to know that I'm not a proud of it, and I'm I'm ashamed for the foreign policy that this country has had since the very beginning, uh, when they committed genocide on the the native peoples. So I've I've become, I think, feeling a sense of responsibility, uh, and obligation to get involved in in anti-war organizations and activism, because of what I, I did, I supported the war machine for 20 years. And, it, and uh, so I, I feel like I, I owe something back to the world to try to kind of make up for that. And so activism, I think it kind of comes naturally to me. I was an officer in the military, and I kind of just sort of tend to leadership roles. And, and maybe that's also because I, I like to have my opinion listened to, and, and if, I'm, uh, if I'm leading, then I, everybody has to listen to me whether they like it or not. But um, anyway, I, I sort of gravitate to that kind of role. And, and uh, as World Beyond War came into fruition, it was, it was really just an idea between our, found, our two founders, David Swanson and David Hartsoe. And they came up with this idea of a, uh, an organization that would address the institution of war and not just what we call the war of the day, whether it's Iran or North Korea or Syria or whatever it is. And so David Swanson called me. I had met him a few years earlier uh, in Washington, D.C., and um, we'd stayed in loose touch with each other. And he called me and asked me if I would be interested in getting to be a part of this new organization or see if there was some, some, uh, you know, some, some traction there to get something going. And I was very enthusiastic about it. At, at the time, I had just left Veterans for Peace as the president, um, and I was ready for something new. And uh, so uh, the rest of started history. Uh, I've, I've been with them since the beginning. I, I don't count myself a co-founder. That's the two Davids are the co-founders. But I was involved before World Beyond War had a name, and I feel a real, uh, well, uh, it's just sort of part of my life now for the last 14 years. It's been my life uh, working in, in anti-war activism and, and uh, trying to do my very best to attack a huge, uh, a, a, you know, target. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's military target. I shouldn't say that, attack and target, uh, <laughs> to address a, a, a grotesque wrong in the world, and that is American foreign policy. Yeah, thank you, Leah. It's, it's just incredible, um, the contribution that you have made over recent years, and I'm just curious about how you actually, why you actually started off after the military going towards um, veterans for peace. Was that something that you knew about when you were serving or 
Or was it, did you kind of have a, a nagging feeling during your years of service that perhaps things weren't really right? Hmm. Yes, that's a good question. Uh, I didn't turn from like uber patriot to, that that wanted to defend my country to you know peacenik uh, uh, person or uh, pacifist. Um, I didn't. It wasn't like this overnight transition from the one extreme to the other. I was never this gung-ho, I want to carry a weapon person. And I was always, I mean, uh, I didn't say sympathetic, but n- not believing that war was the right thing to do, and especially, I mean, ashamed about Vietnam was during my growing up years, and I, of course, uh, thought that was an aberration, uh, ab- abhorrent. And um, I... Um, so I, I just sort of came to it kind of this gradually. Uh, so I was just kind of neutral because of my lack of education, not feeling really pro-military or anti-military. But as I came through my, my military career, I did sort of tend towards the left. Um, for instance, when I was a student at the Naval War College getting my master's degree, I wrote papers on the importance of the UN and conflict termination, whereas that, those topics were not usually talked about. Um, so I kind of, I kind of was an oddball, I, I would say, in the military, and didn't really feel um, like it was such a great fit. But, but then again, on practical terms, uh, you know, once you you can retire after 20 years of active duty service, and then you get a pension, and so. That's how I'm able to live now, uh, living on my pension, uh, doing, doing the work uh, without a salary. And, and so uh, it, it, I, I felt like it was foolish to get out um, at any, once I got past halfway. So it was kind of a, you know, a marriage of convenience. Um, and then I didn't start really transitioning to some. I'll tell you the story of when I, it was sort of an, an epiphany when I decided I had to be an activist. And this was when there was a, a, an exhibit, a traveling exhibit called Eyes Wide Open, and it was created by a Quaker organization, the American Friends Service Committee. And this exhibit, this is in the middle of uh, the sort of early beginnings of the Iraq War, the second Iraq War. And um, the exhibit consisted of, of rows and rows of uh, military army boots lined up as if, as if in formation, or as if in a military cemetery, all lined up in perfectly even rows. And attached to the boots were dog tags and little mementos, photos, little teddy bears, little things like that. And then around the outside of the room were piles of civilian shoes and little children's sandals and women's shoes and, and work boots uh, for civilians. And, um, and then there were these panels of information talking about the number of Iraqis who'd been killed in the war and the number of Americans who'd been killed in the war. But the Iraqis, nobody had been talking about. So this, this dichotomy of seeing the Americans and counting and knowing exactly how many Americans had died because there was a pair of boots for each one, and then these piles of anonymous civilian shoes to represent the Iraqis, and I tell you, that exhibit was, it just, I had a visceral reaction to it. It was like a, a kick in the gut, and I was, I was just sobbing. And, and, and I left that place thinking, I, I need to do something. And I think it, that was a transformational um, point where I decided to become an activist, uh, I would say. There really was a point that, that flipped me, even though I was um, 
flipped me from neutral to being really engaged and feeling like I had to do something. And that was it. Gosh, that's really interesting. It just shows the, the power of art and the, and the, and the power of, um, of, a, of, of something quite subtle but quite powerful. Um, and, of course, yes. with your fine arts background, um, <laughs> you know, you're very aware of that. You've also been the creator and coordinator of the Drones Quilt Project, which, is, um, which was a travelling exhibit also to educate the public and recognise the victims of U.S. combat zone. Could you talk about that, please? Absolutely. Well, another a transformational part, point in my life was when I was the president of Veterans for Peace, I was part of a delegation of uh, Code Pink. Uh, it's a very excellent uh, activist organization uh, headed by Medea Benjamin in, in the United States. Uh, we went on a delegation to visit the firsthand the victims of the U.S. drone strikes in in uh, in Pakistan, a country that we were not at war with uh, formally, technically. Um, and so it was it was uh, it was incredible to meet with these people <clears throat> and hold pieces of the shrapnel and and talk to see the pictures and and it was just really overwhelming um, how I felt and once again I felt like well I have to do something and I really think that Eyes Wide Open exhibit was I, I modeled the Drones Quilt Project on that idea and so the Drones Quilts were um, I had different people uh, I had to uh, make a, a quilt block uh, with a, and put the name of an Iraqi who had been an, excuse me not an Iraqi a Pakistani who'd been killed by uh, an American drone uh, strike. And um, this, this, the point of this, and then I put the blocks together and made quilts out of them, and, and then we, they, the quilts hung an exhibit with some informational panels and, and to explain what, what it was all about and naming the dead, that because the United States did not keep track of how many people or who they were that they had killed with drones and still won't admit to it. Uh, we know that it's many, many, many times more people than they they will admit to. So the quilt, which is kind of a personal thing anyway, that you know to cover someone and make them warm, and, and it's a kind of a personal thing. And then to to put somebody's name on it and humanize that person, they're not a number, they're an actual person. And that the quilt represented them and, and, and added an identity to that person. And so at the, the highest point, I think we had 13 quilts uh, that traveled around all over the United States and uh, the U.K., and there are still six uh, quilts in Germany, and there are six others uh, in uh, Washington State in the United States. Um, so it's not moving around so much anymore. I think it's kind of uh, a station itself where it is. Um, however... I'm turning over the uh, responsibility for the project to the um, the, the band Killer Drones uh, organization, the, the new one um, headed by Kathy Kelly and Nick Modern, um, and giving them the um, control of the quilts and the uh, uh, you know the information and the scheduling and, and so forth. Um, yeah, but it was it it had a really powerful effect on the people who saw it as well, and just as I had I had hoped that it would have that kind of effect and, and kind of make people think twice a little bit about what was really happening and what was on the other end of those of those uh, weapons wasn't uh, just collateral damage, but indeed they were people 
uh, with names. Yeah, very powerful very and practical as well. Leah, so you've been involved with World Beyond War um, as a leader in that organisation since it began um, in around 2014. Um, and so what's been some of your highlights during that time of, of working with World Beyond War? Well, you know, I, we couldn't have had an organization as successful as World Beyond War even 20 years ago, or maybe 30 years ago, and that's because of the Internet. And I think the thing that got me so excited about World Beyond War was that we always, from the very beginning, wanted to stress the world part, and we needed an organization that was made up of people from all over the world uh, to to work together. And, I, you know, I think it's, there's no way Americans alone can stop their own government from from continuing its own policies. I think it's going to take pressure from outside. And we need to be coordinated. We need to be organized. And so as we started gathering signatures on our Declaration of Peace, which I hope all your listeners will sign, it's on our website, worldbeyondwar.org. You can translate the website into many, many, many languages. Um, and the pledge, uh, in a nutshell, says that I understand that war um, is abhorrent and causes uh, extensive damage, and that I pledge to work nonviolently to end war. That's that's the pledge in a nutshell. So we asked people to take this pledge, add their name to the, our, our list, and as we gathered those names, we built our sort of our database or our people or friends of the organization, people who had put their name on this idea. But as we kept gathering the names, the, the numbers of countries that these names came from started getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I would travel around and give briefings of presentations on World Beyond War. And I remember give, having a slide up and saying, we have people who signed this from 60 countries, 60 countries. I couldn't believe it. Well, today we have signatures from 192 countries. And it still blows me away that we are. There are people truly from every corner in the world who want to see war ended, and uh, the, the the power, the the power of organizing that that represents that we have people all over. Uh, that's what gets me excited about organizing, and, and gives me some hope. Uh, you know that that truly people do care about this, and uh, we can work together. So I think that's probably, you know, besides seeing that organization grow and now having some staff and, and seeing the chapters build and, and, and all that, um, I mean, that's just really amazing. It seems like not that long ago at all that um, David Swanson, uh, we, we couldn't pay him anything at all, and, and uh, we were really scraping to get by to host our website and whatever. But, um of course, we need financial support to continue the work, and, and uh, so I, give, I make a blatant pitch for, for donations. Uh, we hope you'll consider being a, a recurring donor, especially very helpful to us. And if you do become a recurring donor to World Beyond War, uh, we will have a, you can have your choice of a gift of a, a book or a T-shirt or a, a number of other things anyway. Uh, so, so we do need financial help, of course. But... To see it, you know, from nothing, from a, a meeting of a few people sitting around in a circle to what it is today has just been really gratifying. And, um, yeah, I feel like it's been a huge accomplishment. And that no matter how far we get in actually ending war as an institution, 
what we are doing is is a good thing. It is moving towards that. It is educating people, and it's it's all good. And and I think to be a part of that has just been really rewarding and, and gratifying to me on a personal on a personal way. Yeah, well, you've certainly helped um, cause a huge a lot of achievement during that time, Leah. Um, you, I understand you've also been involved with the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom as well. Well, yes, um, I. <laughs> I, I formed a branch uh, of, uh, of the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom here in my town of Corvallis, Oregon. You mentioned I was in California. I am in California right now for the winter, but normally I live in Oregon on the Pacific Coast. And, um, yes, I, I, I knew uh, there was a woman in my town who was a member of WILF, and she was so enthusiastic about it, and I found out more about it. And, and so uh, gathered people around and, and formed a branch of WILF. And in fact, Liz, uh, your, your listeners will be uh, interested to know that that is where you and I met, was at a Wilf Congress in Chicago, I believe. Uh, and it was, so that was kind of a, a meeting, uh, serendipitous, that turned out to be an incredible opportunity for, for both of us. And, uh, so yes, Wilf is a wonderful organization. It's been around for over a hundred years. It's international. Uh, Jane Adams, the founder, won the Nobel Peace Prize for its work. And so I encourage everybody to find out more about uh, the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom. That's right. Yes, so there's a lot of networking that goes on for sure, isn't there? That's right. Leah, you've you've obviously got a strong sense of, um, you know, wanting to do good in the world and and wanting to make a difference and and sort of responsibility and, and so on. Um, is that something that you've always had from a young age? Is, is it something? Is your family background contributed to that that sense? You know, I'm. I don't think so. I I know I've always been uh, sympathetic to the underdog, or, or or saying that's not fair, and and seeing things that that bothered me. Uh, I wouldn't say my family was a uh, you know involved in any kind of charity work or philanthropic work. Um, I think they just sort of live their normal days, as do most people, um, and not necessarily out of a sense of indifference, but, but just uh, lack of knowledge about things that they could be involved with. And uh, My parents were very apolitical. I, don't, I, I think they voted, but they certainly didn't talk about politics at home, so None of the kind of, uh, you know, imperialism or anything like that or American history was never talked about. Um, but I'd say that's pretty typical for an American family is not to be involved uh, in things like that. Um, so, no, I'm not sure where I got it. Uh, but I do, you know, it does seem like all my life I've thought of things of things not being fair and feeling like I, I want to... Uh, fix them. I want to make the world. I want to fix the world. And uh, so sometimes it uh, feels a little bit overwhelming. And I need to, I need to realize that my, you know, the, the extent of what I can do as one person. And sometimes, uh, I, I will admit, sometimes I, I feel a little overwhelmed, a little, well, hopeless is probably too strong a word, but um, discouraged, uh, I would say. And and then, you know, to, to get back onto the right frame of mind, I just think about the, the progress that has been made in the world, that there are huge paradigm shifts that have happened uh, in, in, 
in just a, you know a few hundred years. Uh, the slavery is the biggest example of, of you know a mindset, a global mindset of uh, condoning uh, slavery and, and not even being able to imagine that, that it would go away to something now that is just like the worst thing uh, you can you can imagine. And, and there's no country that condones it, even though it still goes on, it's not condoned anymore. And then in my lifetime, uh, the uh, LGBTQ rights and, and uh, has it's just completely been turned on its head. And, and that's just in my lifetime, and I'm, I'm 66. So, um, so change does happen. Big social change does happen, and it happens gradually. Uh, sometimes, sometimes more quickly than others, but um, it does happen, and, and it can happen, and we can we can make the world a better place. Uh, we just we have to do it in an organized way. I can't do it by myself, and nobody can. And so we have to be organized, and and uh, that's uh, you know that's what World Beyond War is all about. Thank you so much, Leah. Thank you for coming on the program today, and for everything that you've been doing and all the very best for the future well thank you so much liz i i I thank you for inviting me and i thank you for listening to my stories and um and i thank you also for all your service to world beyond war as a member of our board of directors and as a country coordinator for new zealand and all the work you're doing uh to to build peace in the world um you are a treasure um uh, and that people i hope they know about that This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, a community access media station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible.